This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. I leaned over and turned on the light and she was still there. But now she was a little bit less solid. Welcome to KBOW Shorts. I'm Jeannie Yandel. And every day this week, we're delivering you a creepy story to help get you in the Halloween spirit. Subscribe to KUOW Shorts wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss anything. Today, we'll head out on an Alaskan cruise ship with Joni Tamalonis as part of pursuing her dream job. I, as a senior in high school, decided that I wanted to be in the travel industry. So I attended the Travel Institute of the Pacific. Perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps not. But as a fresh-faced 19-year-old living on Capitol Hill, I got my first job at a cruise line, um, Exploration Cruise Line, which was a small, privately-owned cruise line that cruised exciting places like the Columbia and Snake Rivers, the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers, and um, also Alaska and Tahiti and the Caribbean and so forth. But um, Part of the uh, appeal of working in the travel industry is that you get to go on FAM trips. FAM trips are familiarization trips, and they are designed to let the employees experience the product that you're selling to uh, the 80-year-olds with money. Um, We had uh, the opportunity to attend FAM trips once or twice a year, and it was always you know, sort of exciting to go because we got to go to those interesting places, but most importantly, we got paid to be out of the office. So our fam trips um, most typically were to places in Oregon and California and Alaska. And when I was 19, um, I went to Alaska several times. And one of the charming things about going to Alaska as a 19-year-old is that the drinking age in Alaska for quite some time was 18. It then turned to 21, but if you had turned 18 before the drinking age had changed to 21, then there was the grandfather clause, so you got to go and uh, consume alcohol legally in another state. The thing about me as a 19-year-old, though, is I was very, very uptight. I was a typical Virgo. Everything had to be neat. The bed had to be made before I left the house. I mean, I was very structured, uh, a little bit... uh, Typical Virgo. And, and I was also very, um, very skeptical. I, ha- I, I was rigid. People who know me are probably saying, was. But anyway, I was very rigid for a 19-year-old. I took my profession very seriously. And so consequently, I didn't really drink around the people that I worked with. So despite going to, uh, uh, to a place where I could imbibe, I, I typically did not drink on these fam trips or not much. Well, on one of these uh, fam trips out of, uh, we were in southeast Alaska and um, cruising out of Skagway or Ketchikan or something like that. From Juneau, we were going to Glacier Bay, which is absolutely beautiful. And I wish I could go there now, but as a 19-year-old, a little bit boring. So one, I think we were two nights into the cruise and I had turned in rather early got in my little tiny bunk, sound asleep by 11. Two o'clock in the morning, I woke up because I smelled cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke 
I thought it was coming from the hallway. So I got up and I was trying to figure out, you know, who was smoking outside of my cabin, what was going on, looked at the clock, it was 2, 2.15, glanced around the room and noticed sitting on the bed next to me was a woman who was dressed in this beautiful peach colored summery dress, sitting there smoking a cigarette and blowing smoke rings into the air. I looked at her and tried, you know, just waking up to figure out what she was doing in my room. I leaned over and turned on the light, and she was still there. But now she was a little bit less solid. So I rubbed my eyes and put my head on the pillow and turned out the light and thought, I'm not going to deal with this. I still, I still smelled cigarette smoke, and of course now my heart's racing turned on the light again and there she was still there smoking her cigarette and sitting next to her was a young boy probably four or five a lovely young boy I didn't you know really quite I couldn't quite place him as far as time period but I do remember distinctly that he was wearing all white he was wearing white knee socks white shoes a white dress shirt and white shorts he was sitting on the berth next to me swinging his legs vigorously swinging his legs I couldn't figure out what these people were doing in my cabin. So I went to the next bunk, you know, very gingerly, and turned on the reading light there. Well, he was still there, less clear now, but still there. I looked up, and in the doorway was a gentleman who was tall, thin, wearing Levi's, cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and a western shirt. A little bit older than the woman, but clearly familiar with her, comfortable with her, and I was trying to figure out what these three people were doing in my cabin. Well, I didn't know what to do. I decided that I must be hallucinating, so I decided to turn off the lights and give it another try, go to sleep. Well, obviously I was unsettled and couldn't sleep and wanted to know if they were still there, so I opened my eyes and sure enough, there they are, you know, the man standing very, very tall, the boy swinging his legs, the woman smoking away. Well, I, being the skeptical person that I was, decided there was no way that this could be true. There's no way there could be three people in my room. And I kind of knew that they weren't real people because they weren't quite solid enough. So I gingerly put my feet over the side of the bed, stood up, and did a big sweep with my hands to the boy and to the woman. Well, my hands went right through the boy and right through the woman. At this point, I got a little freaked out. So I decided that I needed to go find somebody and figure out what was going on. It's 2.30, quarter to 3 in the morning. This has gone on for maybe 20 minutes or so. So I snuck out of the stateroom, walked past the man, went to the galley to see if maybe the cook was up to make breakfast or whatnot. Nobody up. I wasn't really scared, but I was concerned. So I decided <laughs> that I was just going to avoid my stateroom until daylight. So I stayed in the kitchen, in the galley, drinking hot cocoa and coffee until 6 o'clock until everybody woke up for breakfast. Well, the thing about this experience to me was it was very interesting to me the reaction that people had to my tale the next morning. Either people were like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about when my Aunt Martha came into my room. 
or the reaction was, how many beers did you have? What was going on? You know, disbelief. So my feeling was I was at a total loss because I was the type of person up to that point where you had to show me, you had to give me proof, you had to give me facts and figures to support whatever it was that you were trying to get me to buy or to get me to believe. But I think that that experience really changed me from being a very uptight 20-year-old, 19-year-old to being somebody who could possibly suspend my belief and really be open to anything that might otherwise seem like maybe it couldn't be but this was an opportunity for me to to really believe and that experience to me was a gift and I I hope I mean 20 years later I still remember the color of the gentleman's shoes and I often hope that that would happen to me again but it it hasn't and I, I just feel really um really fortunate to have had that happen I went back to Seattle, came back to Seattle, and this was in 1984, so this was well before, I think this was well before the internet, and I tried to um, do some research on whether or not there had been some sort of boating accident or something with a family and Tracy Arm and, you know, in, in outside of Juno, and really didn't find anything, had looked through Juno papers and so forth, had asked the crew, had asked people back at the cruise line um, in Seattle, and nobody really could, could tell me who these people were, so I sort of fabricated this idea that this family had spent their most enjoyable experience as a family in Southeast Alaska and that they were coming back and that I had the privilege for them to come and visit me in the early morning. That was Joni Tamalonis telling her ghost story at the rendezvous in Seattle a few years back. Tomorrow, for our final episode of KBOW Shorts, We're bringing you a story about a beautiful river surrounding a small village in North India, where all the villagers gather until sunset. So I asked my grandma why, and she said, well, it's not safe after sunset. And I asked why. I mean, I don't see any animals or snakes or, I mean, if you can go there during daylight and it's it's not very deep, then why why wouldn't you go there during the nighttime? And she said... You know, it's, it's not the animals or the snakes. It's the ghosts. And a story about watching horror movies with your preschooler. What's your favorite color, Chloe? The blood. <laughs> no, favorite color. This KBOW short story was produced by KUOW Puget Sound Public Radio, a proud member of the NPR Network. Subscribe to the KUOW Shorts feed for more short-run, locally-produced audio series. This series was produced by me and Brandy Fullwood, with help from Hans Twight, Amelia Peacock, and Michaela Giannotti-Boyle. Brendan Sweeney is our Director of New Content and Innovation. Our music is by Atalia. Listen to all five ghost stories this week by subscribing to KUOW Shorts wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jeannie Yandel. See you tomorrow, if you dare.